0: Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from The Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. Joel Rosenberg is very familiar with Middle East politics and current events and his knowledge is integrated into his adventure novels. His latest deals with a proposed East peace plan and an unlikely supporter. Learn more coming up next with the advent of the coronavirus parents could be looking for ways to keep their children's minds occupied during the time away from school taking part in learning activities that could be beneficial julie batura whose husband is in leadership at focus on the family is a homeschool mother and offers practical help then more conversation highlights from faith radio meeting house media central at the 2020 national religious broadcasters christian media convention in nashville Actor Kevin Sorbo stopped by to discuss a number of his film projects, including a projected release that traces the life of noted Christian apologist John Lennox. Material from that chat is ahead. And on this edition of The Intersection, from the Ministry of Answers in Genesis, which operates the Ark Encounter and Creation Museum in Kentucky, Ken Ham in an NRB conversation highlighted the impact of the Ark-themed attraction and the messages it conveys. Also at NRB, Missy Maxwell-Wharton told the story of how she and her husband had to travel halfway around the world in order to be part of the rescue of their legally adopted daughter. Find out more about that story ahead. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, Jason Yates of My Faith Votes, emphasizing the importance of prayer in response to the coronavirus crisis. His organization is offering resources and direction in encouraging and equipping God's people to pray. You can learn more coming up. This is The Intersection, of production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Joel Rosenberg has written a number of novels that incorporate current events, especially concerning the Middle East. Recently, he discussed his new book, The Jerusalem Assassin, and offered some analysis of Middle East events that parallel elements of the plot of that book, which deals with a plan for peace in the region and response to it. Here now is Joel Rosenberg.
1: In The Jerusalem Assassin, uh, just when... Uh... Just as the American president rolls out or is getting ready to roll out his big uh, Middle East peace plan, a series of senior U.S. officials who are involved in drafting the plan start getting assassinated. So thank God that that has not really happened. Mm. I'm not predicting it. I don't want it right. to happen, but I'm right. that's the – that's the premise. But, and so the president is thinking maybe he shouldn't uh, release the plan yet because now he feels rattled and he doesn't know quite what to do. But at that moment uh, of indecision, the Saudi government uh, sends a back-channel message to the American president saying, Mr. President, we're not a fan of every detail of your peace plan, but we are ready to make peace with Israel. And would you host a big peace summit in Jerusalem uh, with the Israeli prime minister, you, Mr. President, as the host, and the crown prince of Saudi Arabia? Well, the president is electrified by this idea, thinking, well, the Palestinian leadership, they're not ready to move forward. But wow, this would be a historic, dramatic moment if the Saudis and the Israelis made peace. And so he wants to go forward with a summit, but his his security people say, Mr. President, uh, with all respect, are you insane? You know, there's some unknown terror group out there. They are causing all kinds of mayhem. And uh, we, it, it is the wrong moment to take you to Jerusalem, put you up on the Temple Mount. Oh, wow. You, the Prime Minister of Israel, and the Saudi Crown Prince. And so, just to wrap that up, that the President turns to the hero of the novel, Marcus Riker, a Marine former Secret Service agent, now working for the Central Intelligence Agency. And he basically charges Riker and his team, you get this thing ready. You make sure this thing is safe, and we're going to go forward. And now now the clock is ticking, the countdown is on, and all the actors, the good guys and the bad guys, are all converging on Jerusalem to see whether they can sign a peace treaty or if the whole thing will be blown up. That's the Jerusalem, Jerusalem assassin. Wow!
0: And let's talk about the role of the Saudis here as we talk about Middle East peace. You've had the opportunity, in fact, you led a delegation to meet with the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia not too long ago. Where? What was that like? First of all, let me ask you that.
1: Well, actually, yes, and actually, we we've led I've led two delegations wow. now specifically to Saudi Arabia. Uh, not only did we meet. Uh, with the Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin Salman, arguably the most controversial leader in the world, or one of them. Uh, that, was, uh, that was November of 2018. We had two hours with him in the palace. First time Christian leaders had ever been invited to meet with the Saud royal family in more than 300 years. And we had a deep conversations, very candid on some very difficult issues. But we also talked about his views of peace and the future of a relationship with Israel, perhaps. And and then he invited me to bring a delegation back to continue the conversation. We did that in September of uh, 2019. And of course, met with all the other senior leaders in the country, except for the king. Uh, Neither time have we been invited to sit with uh, King Salman himself. But boy, Bob, you know, very rarely does anybody, much less a political thriller writer, get to <laughs> be invited into a palace to meet with um, uh, the leaders at the absolute top of these Arab Muslim countries to sit and talk for hours and hours and hours about what they believe and what where they're heading, where they're taking their countries, how they will, are they willing to be more friendly. With religious freedom towards Christians and Jews and others, and how do they think about the Iran threat? How do they how do they see peace with Israel? And I've actually led six delegations now by God's grace. I mean, I, I don't know why He's choosing me, but we've we've led to, I've led two delegations to meet with the leaders of Egypt, uh, one to meet the leaders of Jordan, uh, one delegation to meet the leaders of the United Arab Emirates, and as I say, two. To meet the leaders of Saudi Arabia. Absolutely extraordinary and very interesting when you're writing political thrillers about these topics.
0: Joel Rosenberg here on the intersection. Find out more by going to the website, Joel Rosenberg. That's R-O-S-E-N-B-E-R-G dot com. Next up here on this edition of The Intersection, it's Julie Batura. Her husband, Paul, is vice president of communications for Focus on the Family. In a recent conversation, she shared from her perspective as a homeschool mother, principles and resources to aid parents in helping their school aged children learn during a time of being out of school due to the coronavirus. Here now from that conversation is Julie Batura. The
2: first thing I would say do is just remember uh, I remember in Isaiah 26, you will keep in perfect peace those minds who are steadfast because they trust in you. So we all have to just, in this time, trust in the Lord that you are doing, going to do a great job for these next few weeks. You're going, it's going to be great, and whatever you do will be enough. And, but the first thing I say would do is make sure you check with your teachers, especially the older ones. Check the website. Check the parent portal, student portals, maybe once or twice a day until they get into a rhythm, especially high school students. Maybe they're not used to that as much. Our freshmen started a couple of uh, classes out of home t- this year, and I had to really kind of help him along with that check with your teacher. Ask your teacher. Send her a note. And... In the beginning, he didn't really want to do that. But now I don't even have to tell him. He just does it. Second of all, establish that routine early on. And we, what we do is we get up, we get breakfast, we make our bed, and then they're dressed. We don't uh, do school in our pajamas, but sometimes it's fun to do that. But we finish about noon and then we, after lunch we have a long break and then we might come back and do an hour of school, but we're usually done around one, maybe two o'clock. Our freshman in high school goes longer sometimes because their work is harder and more difficult, more challenging. But understand though, as you start that routine, it might change tomorrow, it might change next week. because. We don't really know how it's going to work out, especially you've been thrust into this situation and it was not your plan. And so just know that that routine you start early on, that might just change and that is okay. That is okay. And it probably will. I know this year I've changed my routine probably six times, (laughs) especially for my little ones, because I realize I need to give them more breaks and more breaks and more breaks. In fact, with our youngest one, he's eight, and he is basically a gymnast. And so after mass, I tell him, run up and down the stairs two times, and then we, we come back to spelling or something like that. And then in the middle of the morning, we take a longer break, and then we come back to our schooling again. Just the, the breaks give them that, that uh, physical break, the mental break. They get a snack, and they come back, and they're ready to go again. We need to give ourselves grace. So the first thing you remind yourself: give yourself a lot of grace. You've been thrown into this situation, and then give your kids even more, which is sometimes very hard for me to do because we all get frustrated. We are all imperfect, and we're all just thrown into our houses for a long time, all together, and we're not used to that. We even we do a one day a week um, co-op with with other homeschool families. And then, as I said, I have the two dyslexic boys in a little school part-time, or it's actually just a homeschool program. And then our oldest is taking a couple of classes outside of the home. So they can't go to gymnastics and we can't go to all of our, we all are in that same boat. So we're gonna be in the same room for a long time. We're gonna get irritated, frustrated, angry. A lot of times the kids just wanna be silly. They just wanna have fun, they're kids, but we want them to be serious and do their work. So give yourself grace and just remember that this is hopefully this is temporary and you just have to do your best and let the lord take it and do what he wants with it because you're doing your best and that is all you can do my other thing is brace yourself for comparisons i I, this happens to me probably daily is you'll do it differently than your than their teachers and that is okay um but just Remember, that they might say, well, that's not the way my teacher does it. And you can always remind them, well, you're not their teacher. Well, how does she do it? Or how does he do it? And maybe try to copy what they do. But you probably don't have a large chalkboard in your home or, or the resources <laughs> she has in her classroom. So sometimes you might have to say, well, I, I'm not going to do it the way she does it. But let's see if we can figure out how to do it at home a new way and you'll learn how, how you might teach, and you'll learn how they learn, and, and we'll figure it out. It's frustrating. It really is frustrating, but you'll figure it out in the days to come. And so in that is just kind of lower your expectations because they're going to treat you like their parent, not their teacher. And we all know that true adage that we often treat our loved ones worse than we treat outsiders. So if we just know that that might be coming, that might help a little bit just to expect it, and then you'll know how to handle it moving forward.
0: Julie Batura here on The Intersection. You can find an article she has written about this topic by going to the Daily Citizen website of Focus on the Family. It's dailycitizen.focusonthefamily.com. Next, from Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Actor Kevin Sorbo discussed a variety of his most recent projects, including a release that traces the life of noted Christian apologist John Lennox. It's called Against the Tide. From that conversation at NRB 2020, this is Kevin Sorbo
3: now. I think this is a great educational tool. I think John Lennox is going to become a household name. I mean, this guy is, uh, he's so quietly popular that people inside maybe our world know who he is. People need to know who this guy is because he's incredible, and the 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 way he goes about his. business. in fact, he's coming here to Nashville. I believe it's in August or September. I saw a big poster for it, and uh, the the Zacharias is going to be here. I mean, it's a big yeah. group of twenty. The, the Getty people. Conference. The Getty Conference, and I, I'm hoping I can make it. But I'm supposed to be filming a series at a time. <clears throat> Excuse me, but I just I it, to me it was so great. He invited me to his home. I met met with his wife. We filmed, actually, a little bit at the home as well. He is so they. i, I got to show this out. I just hit me now. He sent me an email last night because they screened this. This is the first screening really anywhere in America today for the, seeing the documentary. They had a screening in London yesterday, last night. And John emailed back, and he said it was a full house, a full, attentive house. People loved loved it. They said a standing ovation at the end of it. So that's good news to hear for us because you know how people are going to react to things sometimes. But um, they said it was a complete success. And the the um, producers behind it, but they're in London as well, said it was just amazing the response they had from people. Well, and this may
0: be a little inside baseball here, but as far as distribution plans for the film, is it theatrical, home
3: video, all the above? You know, we're praying for theatrical. It, it's so hard to get that P&A money, that Princeton advertising money. I get stopped all the time. I used to be for Hercules or Andromeda, my other series. I get stopped 80% of the time now because of, let to Be like, God's Not That, Ablesfield, What If, those kind of movies. But I tell people, then you've got to keep supporting them. Because we're going up against Hollywood's $300 million movies. And they all have a $150 million budget to promote it. We're looking for $2 million, like on, on, on this one. Or maybe $2 million on Miracle in East Texas, my other movie that's coming out soon. That sounds like a lot of money. That's not even catering budget on those Pirates of the Caribbean or Avenger movies. So... We need to get these into theaters. And when people find out about them, we need big word of mouth because you need to fill those theaters up Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Because the reality is if they bomb the opening wing, no matter what kind of movie it is, they pull them out. You know, they want to sell popcorn. They don't care what movie is there. you there. Know, so we really need to have people support these wonderful movies that have hope and redemption and faith and have a great lesson in them. And, uh, you know, it's just please get out and support
0: That's all I can say. All right, Kevin. We're going to shift now. We're going to talk about let's let's talk about something positive. Uh, wow. The apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> and you mentioned that you have a a, a project that has been released. Before it's gone wrath. to uh, it's yeah.
3: gone to number one on Amazon. Yeah, before the wrath. It just debuted two days ago and already debuted number one. Um, I people, please go check it out. I narrate it. It's a wonderful, wonderful story. You got a combination of of uh, you know historians and, and experts from around the world that are being interviewed, but it's mixed in with um, actors portraying the, portraying the biblical periods all throughout time in the Bible. So it's uh, it's a great learning tool and people are going to really really enjoy this. Kevin Sorbo
0: here on the intersection. His website address is Kevin Sorbo S-O-R-B-O.net. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can learn more by going to meetinghouseonline.info or by visiting the programming section at faithradio.org. You'll find a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. The podcast can be found in the Media Center, or you can subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible through the Meeting House homepage. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. Plus, there's a link to video content, including recently added content from the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Again, you can go to meetinghouseonline.info or visit the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's the founder and CEO of Answers in Genesis, Arc Encounter, and the Creation Museum, Ken Ham. At the 2020 NRB convention in Nashville, he discussed the concept and certain features of the Ark Encounter-themed attraction in Kentucky, as well as the significance of the story of Noah and the flood, bound in Genesis. This is Ken Ham
4: now. We're losing the culture from a Christian worldview perspective, and there's an exodus from the church. When you look at the millennials, and then you look at generation Z. I mean, church attendance for millennials is only 18%, down from, you know, the greatest generation, 56% of them went to church. And generation Z are even less than millennials. And how do you how do you impact the culture? Cuz churches are realizing they they're not reaching the younger generations. Well, by building themed attractions that boldly present the word of God and the gospel. We're very evangelistic, but do it in a first-class professional way. Uh, and, and in other words, the quality you'd expect of Disney, I think it's even above Disney quality. You you find that people come from all over the world. Thirty percent of those who come to the Ark and the museum are non Christians. Mm. We have secular bus co- uh, tour companies bringing hundreds and hundreds of buses there. So it's a different way to reach the culture with the message of God's Word in the Gospel. It's uh,
0: its incredible. And, of course, when you think about what goes into an ark, and we're going to kind of do a little origin story for the next... St- few minutes when you look at what you want to put inside obviously it's not a matter of of building out the inside of the ark putting a bunch of animals in there bringing Russell Crowe in to play the role of Noah or anything like that Uh, it's not (laughs) like it's not like the movie there's no rock people or anything like that so how did as you began to to conceptualize this how have you come up with the content that goes on the
4: inside well you know the Bible says to make sure we do things in order And we have to be careful the way we do things. And so we step out in faith, but we also are responsible to plan carefully. And so when it came to the ARC, first of all, we hired a research group, America's research group out of Florida, to do a general population uh, research project. If we built a life-size ARC, would people come? And then we also asked them, what questions would you like answered? And the response was actually overwhelming. We knew we were gonna get a tremendous number of people coming to the ARC. And they wanted questions answered, like, well, how did Noah fit the animals on board? And by the way, the questions that they want answered are the same ones I've been asked all around <laughs> the world. Yeah. So you know, we we knew sort of what we thought they would be saying, but this really confirmed it. And you know, how could Noah look after them on the ark? How could he give them food and take away waste products? And what about you know the geology of the flood and so on? And so. The Ark is filled with 130 plus exhibits, teaching exhibits and themed exhibits that really answer the questions that people have to help them understand this really happened. This is how he could have built it. This is how he could have looked after the animals. Noah only had to take the kinds on board, not the species, representative kinds, the family level of classification in most instances. He could easily fit them on board. And so we've got all this represented through the ark with these stunning exhibits. People are just (laughs) mind-blowing. No doubt. And also, speaking of animals, there are animals at Ark Encounter. We have live animals. In fact, uh, we just brought in some sloths. We have a zoo (laughs) at the back of the ark. And we also have llamas and alpacas and camels. We have camel rides, and we have a zorse and a zonkey. One of the reasons Excuse me, we have wait, wait, wait,
0: wait, time out. What, what was that? A zorse. A zorse. And okay. a, a zonkey. So a ze- a, that's a zebra, a zebra and a horse. horse cross. Okay. And, ze- and okay, a zonkey is okay. a zebra donkey cross. Okay. Great, and the
4: reason great. we have those and and the llamas and the alpacas and so on, we want to teach people about kinds. And so uh, that you know, donkeys, zebras, horses are all the one kind. You only need two of the horse kind on the ark. Alpacas, llamas, camels are all the one kind. You only needed two of the camel kind on the ark. So we have sort of unique animals in that regard to, to teach people this. Plus we want to teach them about design, God's design. And we have sloths there and uh, bear cats that are coming. And we're building a big uh, enclosure for lemurs right now. Uh, and so, and that the Creation Museum we have animals that kids can, you know, interact with, and uh, go in and pet them, and it's like a petting zoo, but more sophisticated. All right. As we
0: look, we've been talking about some of the features. So let's talk about the importance of this message. Why is it important to believe in the story of Noah and the story of a of a worldwide? Flood. Why is this important to be able to believe and comprehend and, uh, and, of course, to efficiently discuss?
4: Well, you know, the history in Genesis 1-11 to concerning creation, the entrance of sin and death, and then the flood of Noah's day and the Tower of Babel, that's the geological, biological, astronomical, anthropological history that's foundational to the rest of the Bible, all our doctrines, and to our whole world view. The flood was an integral event. What we're saying is the global flood produced most of the fossil record.
0: Ken Ham here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to arcencounter.com. Next up on this edition of the Intersection Podcast at Faith Radio Meeting House Media Central at the 2020 NRB Convention in Nashville, Missy Maxwell Wharton, author of the book Don't Mess With This Mama, Risking It All to Rescue Our Daughter, shared about the experience she and her husband endured in order that their adopted daughter would be rescued in Ethiopia for that conversation this is Missy Wharton now we're at this point in the story now you and your husband and your legally adopted daughter are hiding out you've got a Christian enclave in the midst of an area that is is populated by those that are devoted to radical islam you're in the midst of it all you're trusting god so how do you how do you fight for your daughter while still allowing the Lord to fight your battle. Does that does that make sense?
5: Yes and, and that's that's a great question um, because we had to literally you know what we were fighting with we were fighting with the promises of God. And on the front cover of my book, I'm holding a sword. <laughs> and, and it's, So that's
0: you. That's, that's you on the cover. No. Nah, that's, oh, that's a, yeah. not you. But OK. That's, that's somebody
5: not. they put together.
0: Okay,
5: <laughs> But I'm holding a, a sword. A representative of you. Yes. And that sword is the sword of truth. That is the word of God that we were holding on to the promises. Um, you know, one little part that happens in our story is a person who had encouraged me in Franklin, Tennessee, at a meeting pulled me up and gave me a word of encouragement. When we landed in Ethiopia, he walks out of of the elevator. And he walks over to me. Yeah. So that's that's where we were like, okay, there's a reason. He had just been with Heidi Baker, working with her down in Mozambique, and um, Uh, Uganda and he walked over and said are you stuck here from Hurricane Sandy? I said uh, no we just flew in to rescue our daughter. He begins to pray over us and his prayer literally said Lord I just I just ask you for favor in this situation. I see favor walking before you and I just believe that God's going to give you favor and I start laughing.
0: That's great. Yeah because I said did I tell you
5: yeah I said that's (laughs) my daughter's name and he's just like that's awesome that's our God that is our God.
0: So how do things resolve themselves? What happens?
5: Well, we had to continue uh, going in and out of uh, Addis Ababa. And uh, every day we would have to drive through the Mercado um, Fruit District, which I had been warned, do not go in this area, it is very dangerous. So we would go in, we would stand before the judge, we would present our case. And I tell you what, we had a, you'll love this, because our lawyer's name meant he who fights for the orphan and homeless oh,
0: that's great how'd you find your lawyer
5: that was a god thing too <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course <laughs> he's it, got a he he's got this
5: he put everything it was he went before us yeah. when it says he goes before you it's true he goes before you
0: and obviously you you and your daughter and your husband got out of Ethiopia.
5: We were able to win our court case and prove that we were innocent of all human traffic charges. The, the judge told us later she did not believe that we, for a moment, were human traffickers. Um, but she had to figure out what was happening to all these children. And the beautiful thing that happened is because we won our case, several other kids were released from this false foster care and able to join their their family forever families in America.
0: So there is a sense, as I understand it, of, of justice that you want to bring about for these children that are, if I can say it like this, that are going missing. In yes. Ethiopia, they are being taken from orphanages and they are being placed in, air quotes here, foster care, yeah. which is really a guise ultimately for human trafficking.
5: It, it really is for the most part. Now, there are some wonderful places that we work with in Ethiopia that they actually have a home where the yeah. children are fed, they get educated. That's the key. They're getting an education, not just fed and clothed. They're getting an education.
0: So, so you're continuing to do work. In Ethiopia. Yes. You didn't want to stay away forever as a result of these terrible experiences.
5: No, we really want to go in and impact because Ethiopia has been closed to adoption now. So we really have a job on our hand to see where are these children going that are being targeted for this horrible thing.
0: Missy Wharton here on The Intersection. You can find her on Facebook. Just look for Don't Mess With This Mama, M-A-M-A. The CEO of My Faith Votes, Jason Yates, talked with me recently and offered a perspective on prayer in response to the coronavirus, commenting on the organization's special National Day of Prayer service on March 15th, as well as resources that are available to help Christians pray during the health crisis. From that recent conversation, this is Jason Yates now. There
6: was a very important call that we had um, just a little over a week ago. Um, before the president announced a National Day of Prayer. And we just said, we've got to find a way to point people um, to God. This is a huge opportunity um, for us to be uh, walking in our faith and demonstrating a way for others to do the same. And so we got talking about what we could do. And in that, we found uh, or we heard that President Trump declared a National Day of Prayer on March 15th, and we rallied around that in coming together and pulling together a, a, um, a worship service and a prayer service um, around that idea of a National Day of Prayer and partnered with Alan Jackson at World Outreach Church in Tennessee, and he is just an incredible leader and um, uh, extremely uh, um, just wise Person. And so uh, we were just thrilled to have his leadership and partnering with him in that as well. And so we pulled together this service. We streamed it on, um, on our site, on World Outreach Church. It's now on Fox Nation for people to view if they want to view it there. But they can also see it, uh, see a replay of it on MyFaithVotes.org. Uh, you can access that from our homepage. We call it America it's time to pray. And so, um, so we're doing that and then providing people with resources of how to pray, a prayer guide as well as a small booklet, an e-book that really points to times in our nation where we've faced um, challenges, crisis. Yet um, in those times, it was the Bible. It was people uh, at in influential times Turning to the Word of God and leveraging the wisdom and power of His word to change the direction of the nation. And this is a great little ebook that came from Pastor Robert Morgan's book called "A Hundred Bible Verses that Made America." Incredible book, um, but this little ebook is free to anyone who wants to uh, download it also from our website.
0: You were sharing, Jason, about the National Day of Prayer service. It was led by Alan Jackson of World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. In fact, Pastor Jackson was on the program, had a chance to meet him in person at the recent National Religious Broadcasters Convention. Shortly before that, I had the opportunity to interview Robert Morgan about his book, about these significant Bible verses in America. I understand that Pastor Morgan was actually part of that National Day of Prayer service that is available online, correct?
6: Yeah, we got him um, involved uh, right away as we were putting together this concept of this service around the National Day of Prayer, and we just thought, man, what better way than to highlight points in our nation's history when we've turned to prayer? You know, President Trump, he acted in a way that acknowledges the power of prayer, Um that our nation was founded in the belief and recognition that we are a nation founded in faith. And so um, in acknowledging a day of prayer, we're just pointing people to that fact. Um, You know, I I was reading through part of uh, Pastor Morgan's uh, e-book, and he has a quote in there from FDR, and this came on June 6, 1944, which was D-Day, and it says— As we rise to each new day, and again, when each day is spent, let the words of prayer be on our lips. That came from FDR, our uh, former president, and at a very critical time. And I think the important thing here, Bob, that I'm pointing out with this quote is, even though it was a national day of prayer, it's not just a one-day event. Mm. Um, His words speak to, and when each day is spent, let the words of prayer be on our lips. So um, let's let's carry this forward. In fact, we have challenged everyone over thirty days to be intensely praying for our nation and for each other. And we've asked people to share their prayers. It's it's one thing to be uh, spending time individually, and that's incredibly important. But this is a great opportunity for us to um, to be sharing the power of community in our faith.
0: Jason Yates here on The Intersection. Learn more about the organization by going to myfaithvotes.org. Well, I am about to wrap up this edition of The Intersection podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. You can go to meetinghouseonline.info or... Go to the programming section at faithradio.org to learn more. You can find the Media Center. That's the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on The Intersection. You can also find The Intersection in the Media Center, and you can subscribe via iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. Plus, you can follow me on Twitter at Access the Meeting House Facebook page. And there is a link to video content, including recently added conversation highlights from the 2020 National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville. Conversations with guests featured on The Intersection can also be found through the Faith Radio app, as well as a variety of podcast platforms, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Learn more when you visit meetinghouseonline.info or go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Thanks for joining me for this edition of The Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.